Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is back today, we're happy to say. Hope you had a good vacation, Jim. Uh, I did, uh, Greg. The only complaint I have is it wasn't long enough, but I'm, but I'm okay to be here. It's fun. <laughs> I'm sure you would have loved an extra Friday on that vacation. Uh, Thanks to John Gabriel and Rob Long for filling in for Jim while he was off. And we have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. But Jim, first of all, breaking news uh, that is affecting one of the things you're most passionate about, which is, of course, the New York Jets. Associated Press reporting this morning, Johnson & Johnson is going to break into two, separating the retail products business from its prescription drugs and medical devices. So I don't know if this is the New York Jets version of Kramer versus Kramer here, but which Johnson gets the Jets? Uh, My guess would be uh, Woody Johnson, which is something of an improvement over Chris Johnson, who actually hired Adam Gase. So between the two brothers, that's better. As far as I know, this won't actually affect the Jets that much. I do understand, though, Greg, that they're splitting, as everyone expected, they are splitting into two companies. The first company is just going to be called Johnson. And the second company, which will be handling completely different industries, will be called Johnson. (laughs) now they said it might lead to some confusion but they went back and studied apparently back in the late 80s um there was this fbi team uh that managed to make it work of both being called johnson so uh so that's a pretty good you you hear johnson johnson is but but i run this big week for split ups because general electric is also splitting up as well i don't know why for a long time there's this big move towards mergers and i guess they've decided that's not things big companies want to do anymore let's see if it succeeds and you know doesn't affect that much. I don't expect this to have much of an impact on the Jets because it really, you know, they've always been considered one of the, like the most about when fortune or whatever the magazine that rates all the um, value of the franchises, the Jets are always surprisingly high, usually somewhere in the top five to 10 most valuable franchises. And that demonstrates you winning on the field has nothing to do with the financial value (laughs) of the franchise. Yes. Being in or around New York definitely helps. I don't know if the Redskins are still, I'm sorry, the Washington football team is way up high on that list. They're probably not anymore since literally (laughs) very few people go to their games anymore. They don't even have a a mascot at this point, but they used to be despite their ineptitude on the field. So yes, uh, that, that does seem to be a factor in owning sports teams, but uh, we'll see what happens with Johnson. And Johnson, uh, just you know, uh, you you mentioned the FBI agents from the '80s. They didn't last too long together, so I don't know how it's going to work for these companies separately. But uh, nonetheless, on to on to our excellent uh, first martini, and that is that more people are understanding that what the Democrats want to do with this reconciliation bill is going to make inflation worse. Yes, there are still plenty of leftist economists who, because it's a democratic plan, are going to say, oh, no, no, uh, whatever the economic problem is uh, that has popped up since we first proposed this, oh, yeah, this this, this makes things better on that front, too. No. Uh, pumping trillions of dollars more on top of the several trillions that have already been pumped in extra over the last year and a half is not going to make inflation better, even if they do pay for some of it uh, with higher taxes that will 
affect people making less than $400,000 a year. But nonetheless, uh, the New York Times even is uh, coming out with reporting that suggests that uh, economists are peeling off from the Biden administration when it comes to the impact on inflation, saying many researchers, including a forecasting firm that Mr. Biden often cites to support the economic benefits of his proposals, say the bill is structured in a way that could add to inflation next year before prices have had time to cool off. Some economists and lawmakers worry about the timing, arguing that the risk of fueling more inflation when it has reached record highs outweighs the potential benefits of passing a big spending bill that could help to keep prices in check while addressing other social goals. And they mentioned the 6.2% increase we talked about earlier in the week here in the Three Martini Lunch. Others are saying, oh, it'll just be a little bit of an inflation tick in the beginning and then things will get better because it's more American productivity that's going to happen here. So, uh, Jim, I'm tending to believe the people who think it's going to add to inflation because you and I are able to do math. We are not great at it, but we're pretty good (laughs) at it. You know, one of the things that jumps out at me, because I could see someone saying, Jim, Greg, this is terrible news. Why is this a good martini? Well, it's not just a good martini that The New York Times is not playing along with this new administrative narrative of, oh, you know, build back better is exactly what you need to do if you have a pro- economy that's got really bad inflation rates. Um, also, I would note this story ran on page A1, even though it's technically part of the business section and it's, 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 it, was, it was pretty given really good pr- prominence. I don't think the New York Times runs this unless they really feel a need to shape the argument and shape the debate and basically to wave a giant red flag of warning to the administration that, whoa, this may, I know you're telling yourself this is going to be great for inflation, but actually it may not. In fact, there are a bunch of economists who could point to this. And you and I have been saying throughout this whole process that, you know, even if not all of the money from uh, the infrastructure bill is going to go out the door immediately. And you all, not all the money from Build Back Better would go out the door. But you add them together, they're in the neighborhood of $3 trillion. You dump $3 trillion into the economy, that's going to increase inflation. It is basically, that's kind of really hard to shake how that is. My sense now is that three things have happened in the past two weeks or so to shape the likelihood that Build Back Better gets passed. Two of them have worked against it. One has worked for it. The, the good news is getting the infrastructure bill passed through the House does make it more likely. These things tend to create a momentum and that there is this sense of, okay, moderate Democrats, you got what you wanted through infrastructure bill. You got to make the progressive Democrats happy and help pass Build Back Better. And that still could happen. But I think the election results on Tuesday, or I guess last Tuesday earlier this month, and the really bad inflation numbers both are factors to make Democrats more hesitant. I don't think any of this makes Joe Manchin more likely to say, okay, you guys can get one point X trillion uh, that you want and, and we'll do it, or, or for you know Kirsten Cinema for that matter. So I think the likelihood of passing Build Back Better gets less likely the worse the inflation numbers get. Obviously, that's a really lousy price to pay for not getting this legislation passed. We'll see how it all shakes out, but I do think this is a Uh, shot across the bow from the New York Times. And Democrats can't dismiss the New York Times the way they can dismiss Republicans, National Review, Wall Street Journal, uh, talk radio or anybody else uh, uh, right of center. Exactly. And I have some more information here that could uh, make this good martini even worse, although it might add to the fact that there should be reluctance to pass uh, the massive reconciliation bill, which would, would be a good martini. Again, this is from the Washington Post in response to the inflation story. Senior White House officials were greatly disappointed by Wednesday's report uh, and surprised at how serious the inflationary problems are throughout the economy. And then later on, it says many administration officials have conceded they have few policy options to bring immediate relief 
relief to Americans. So Jim didn't see it coming and have no idea what to do about it. Uh, yeah, that was what's kind of, you know, I, I recently wrote about this in the corner and I'm, I'm just like, um, we've been talking about inflation for months now. I, I think back in July, in June, it was, you know, President Biden was saying, yeah, you know, no serious economist thinks that sustained inflation is on the way. Well, here we are in November. The numbers are still really bad. And, you know, besides the usual complaints, I, I realize the president of the United States does not go shop for his own groceries. I realize the president of the United States does not fill up his own gas tank. I also start to wonder how much the Ron claims, how much the uh, people around the president are in that same kind of bubble where you have people taking care of that for you and you're making enough money that you simply don't worry about all that stuff. So that when this comes along, like if you're if you're filling up your tank, you know how much you paid last, you know, if you fill up once every week, once every two weeks, whatever amount of time you're filling up, you know how much you paid last time. So once it gets to $40 to fill up your tank or $50 to fill up your tank, you're like, wow, man, that's, you know, and then you start thinking, God, do I want to take that long trip? Or, you know, you, st- you may start altering your behavior. Same thing for groceries, same thing for anything you're buying on a regular basis. And so my, you know, this, this is one of those things, like, even if the president doesn't have perfect control over this, there's only so much the executive branch can do, you definitely don't want to look oblivious to it. And this, you know, I, I'm, the, the report in the Washington Post that the administration was surprised by this. Why were they expecting the inflation numbers to not be bad earlier a couple of days ago? Um, really kind of unnerving and indicates that this administration really is kind of stumbling around in a fog. You know, they're, they're as up to speed on this, Greg, as they are as, say, you know, the border or Afghanistan or anyone of a whole bunch of other problems that they said they were going to take care of and have not. You know, Jim, we're basically in the holiday season now. We're less than two weeks from Thanksgiving. And then, of course, uh, it's full-blown Christmas season after that, which means most Americans will be watching Die Hard sometime in the next several weeks. And if you've seen Die Hard, you know that moment where Al Powell is in the uh, uh, the mini-mart getting his Twinkies, and then he gets the call about the uh, possible problem at Nakatomi Plaza. And I can assure you, there was a problem at Nakatomi Plaza. But he goes out uh, before he gets in his car and takes a look down the street at the tower, and as you do, you see gas prices for 74 and 77 cents per gallon. So as you look at that, it's, you know, quite a bit lower than when things were even much better a year ago in terms of uh, uh, inflation and, and prices on the rise. But uh, it's just another good reason to watch Die Hard. Well, Greg, also, by the way, so Greg, I'm going to say this movie came out in 88, right? Right. Yep. And so it probably was filmed in 87. Probably. And so that gives you a sense of... During the bad old days of Ronald Reagan with that, you know, gasoline <laughs> less than a dollar. Uh, no wonder Reagan selected Nakatomi Tower Plaza as his uh, site for his uh, office after his uh, uh, after his, his presidency ended. Um, at least once a year on social media, Twitter or Facebook, I see somebody who takes a screenshot of that and says, this is my favorite scene in all of Die Hard. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I just wonder if Reagan took Takagi's office. That's the only thing. Ah, it needed some cleanup. Keep that in mind. <laughs> did need a little bit of you're, you're going to want to have that carpet steam cleaned that's going to <laughs> all right well uh moving on from uh president reagan and and, and die hard uh to present day where if you want to save money there's a great way to do it by saving money on fantastic sheets from my pillow you know about the pillows the towels the the mattress toppers the slippers, all of their products are fantastic. And right now, the big deal is with Giza Dream Sheets. You can buy one set and get another set free when you use our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. 
The long staple cotton makes these sheets ultra soft and breathable. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee, as well as a one-year limited warranty. Simply the best sheets we have, the best sheets I've ever had, honestly. And for a limited time, buy one set and get another set free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener's Square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104. Find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Don't miss the sale of the year. MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, let's move on to our bad martini now. And this is a continuing trend that is uh, very much not good. That's not good grammar, but uh, even the grammar there is better than this news. Uh, Washington Post with the story, a record 4.4 million Americans quit their jobs in September as job openings remain near record levels, according to federal data, a sign of how imbalances in the labor market continue to complicate the economic recovery 20 months into the pandemic. Those numbers are up from August when 4.3 million people who quit their jobs in August, about 2.9% of the workforce. And so, Jim, that in a span of two months, you're looking at basically 9 million people voluntarily leaving their jobs. And so we've just got this absolute mountain of job availability. Uh, people won't take it. Uh, some chalk it up to the benefits that are still available. Other people chalk it up to other things. But the bottom line is um, we have jobs that need to be done and people apparently just don't want to do them. I was going to say that the enhanced benefits should be winding down. I think they ran out in September. And so that's when you might expect people to not have this. Um, so maybe this is the last month you're going to see these kinds of record numbers. But when you have a labor shortage, this isn't really what you want to see. There has been a little bit of a slight reduction in the total number of jobs available, uh, open and, and people and you know employers who are looking for looking to fill those positions. Um, but it's really just you know down slightly from the uh, record of, of a month or two ago, and that's you know we, we need to get people into these jobs now. Some people would say, oh, you know, it's it's a wage problem, and and you know we have seen increases in the minimum wage, we have seen uh, hourly earnings starting to crump up. I think they're up about five five percent for the year. Um, we kind of figured these numbers would be moving in the right direction. So yes, yeah, some of this is. Uh, you know, probably a wage issue. Some of this, uh, an article in the Washington Post put a lot of emphasis on COVID-19. Now, one thing I would note is that if you are a parent and you're not certain that the school you have is going to be open because of a potential COVID-19 outbreak or similar situation with daycare centers, then you don't, um, then you basically are not, you are not going to be eager to go back into the workplace because you don't know if you're going to have a place to put your kids during the day when you're trying to go to work. If, you're, if your kid's school is closed, it's like a snow day on any given notice, except all it means is one kid in your kid, your, your child's class has coughed. Um, somebody was telling me the other day about, you know, similar situation, mom, uh, you know, to earn her family and uh, the uh, workplace has this very strict rule. It's a, it's a white collar office type workplace. And they said, you know, for a long time, they used to be pretty lenient about if you are a working mom and you wanted to bring your toddlers into the work while you're doing some stuff on the weekend or something like that, they were very laid back about that. COVID-19 occurs and like, okay, don't bring your kids to, they, they didn't want visitors. Um, they're still enforcing that. And so you end up with, you know, working parents who have either the daycare gets canceled or the school gets canceled and they have to take the day off. They can't 
uh, bring their kids into the work because they have these very strict rules about having visitors in the workplace. And they don't have the option of telecommuting. The work has to be done in that particular workplace. So you add it all up and you have a situation where you're putting employers and employees in a situation where they have no good options. Uh, a lot was made of the uh, uh, people who are in the service industry who feel like they're getting yelled at over ma- mask policies and stuff. And look, if, you, if you're upset by a mask policy in a restaurant or a bar or a store or something like that, don't yell at the waitress. Don't yell at the bartender. Don't yell at the person who's at the checkout counter. They don't set the policy. If you want to ask to see a manager, you can, but it's, you know, stores are unlikely to change their policies because you're complaining. If you don't like it, go to another store. That's probably going to be your best bet there. Um, so all in all, you just kind of add this up. This is this kind of indicates there's just these big complications in the economy. And the usual problem when you have high unemployment is a lament of, oh, you know, why aren't employers hiring? Why aren't there enough jobs? All these unemployed people are looking for work. That's not the situation we have here. We have you know employers who are desperate for them. You keep looking around. Um, I think it was a, a, a restaurant I was at the other day. People had T-shirts that said, "Please be patient. I'm doing the work of three people." You know the the jobs. The signs used to be help wanted. They used to be we're hiring, and now they're please be patient. We are understaffed. Right. So there's, there's this huge thing, and people aren't generally aren't applying. And in this case, this this you know new reports just as of September, they're quitting in huge numbers, which is uh, you know obviously going to slow down service, going to probably exacerbates issues with the supply chain, and continues the economic aggravation we've been dealing with. It seems to be getting worse month by month. No, it's a crazy situation. I have talked to multiple people from restaurants to auto repair over the past few months, and they are having they're having a very hard time getting people to show up for interviews. And then when they agree to employ them, they just don't show up to do the job. And I think it's because they have to at least look like they're trying to get a job in order to qualify for certain benefits. And so it's just a big game that's going on here. And the left loves this. They call it the great resignation. They think if people just don't take these jobs and these employers are just going to have to raise wages and benefits. And once the the wages and benefits get to that level, uh, the people are going to have to lay people off because the value provided in those positions doesn't match what they're getting paid. You know what I like to see, Greg? People working. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And once again, people are scratching their heads over COVID statistics, and it's making you pull your hair out instead of scratching your head. You talk about this in the morning in the corner today. Uh, ABC News asking: Vermont has the highest vaccination rate in the country, so why are cases surging? Vaccination prevents, you say, severe reactions, not infections, and a high vaccination rate should reduce deaths and hospitalizations and other uh, severe reactions. You also quote uh, ABC News uh, pointing out that uh, unvaccinated people uh, allegedly are spreading this more than uh, the vaccinated, which is probably true, although we do know now that vaccinated people are spreading it. But as you wrote back in uh, early September, even states with high vaccination rates are still going to see these outbreaks because it is contagious. And so eventually uh, we need to kind of get to the point where we realize this isn't quite going away. You just need to protect yourself from it when you inevitably get it or likely get it. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of uh, the Blue State fans uh, being absolutely stunned that their rates are going up here? Well, you know, Greg, I realize one of the problems of this world that is that not everyone in the world reads me. 
<laughs> I think most of the problems of the world would be solved if that were to change. But let's let's assume, okay, let, you know, I, I, even if I, you don't read me, I'd like to think that somebody else would read this and by now it would have permeated through the culture, through the, the you know, the news environment. People would recognize, oh, okay, um, you know, if I get vaccinated, um, you know, there's a good news is I'm not going to die. The good news is I'm not going to, I'm very unlikely to end up in the hospital. Uh, probably won't end up in the ICU or intubated or on a ventilator or anything like that, but I can still get COVID and I might get sick. I might not feel great about it. Um, you know, but it'll go after a couple of days, it'll be like having the flu, you get better and, and life goes on. And then after that, you've got natural immunity on top of the immunity that's provided to you by your, um, by your, your vaccination. And if you don't like the term immunity, that the protection, right? Your, your body's ability to fight off the virus. Getting vaccinated does not guarantee you will never get infected and you will never test positive. That's you know, And yet you see this headline. And I, I didn't plan on writing about this this morning, but it comes directly to the headline. ABC News, Vermont has the highest vaccination rate in the country. So why are cases surging? Because vaccination doesn't stop you from getting COVID. Like that, why? You know, it's, it's November 12th. Why is this still... This mystery, or why does the media treat this as big? And, and it's interesting, I've written about Vermont and to, to some extent, and also uh, Massachusetts. You know, for the entire, very early on, these states took the lead in, in vaccination rates. They did a really good job of getting rolling out the, the shots, getting people to do it. And as a result of it, they had it. Now, early in the summer, Vermont had a hospital that had, uh, it wasn't, I don't think it ever was overflowing, but I think it, you know, was starting to run low on capacity. And there was a spot in, I think it was West Central Massachusetts that had a similar situation. And it was that same sense that they have great vaccination rates. How can they have this? Well, the answer is, think about how many senior citizens there are in your community. And then think about how many hospital beds there are, right? You know, there's a lot more senior citizens than there are hospital beds. So even if you've got 90% of your, your senior citizens vaccinated, that 10%, if a big chunk of them get COVID, well, they're all going to go to the hospital and they're all going to use up a whole bunch of those beds. And that's just the way things are. And so um, this was what was going on in these uh, New England states. Generally, they worked through it pretty quickly. They were able to transfer patients and things worked out all right. And right now, if you look at the, uh, the you know hospital capacity in the state of Vermont, by and large, they're doing okay. I, the worst number I saw on the most recent chart was at Northwestern Medical Center in St. Albans, Vermont, is using 93% of their ICU beds. Oh, by the way, hospitals generally don't want to have too many empty beds because that means they're not making any money <laughs> and the money that they make helps them afford all the stuff, that they, all the treatments they need to do. So um, generally hospitals don't want to have, you know, vast swaths of their, you know, beds not being occupied. So by themselves, you know, having a high percentage use, but most of them are in the 60%, 70% range Vermont is not in a crisis. Now it is having a higher number of cases, but that's what we'd expect. The other thing, you know, particularly as weather gets colder, people spend more time indoors, they cough on each other, they spend closer time together, the virus is gonna spread. Particularly something really um, contagious like the Delta variant, they're not getting sick to the point where they end up being you know, in the hospital or dying. And that's the most important thing here. The other thing which was in that, I didn't write about this in the corner post, but I've been thinking about whether I should have, Greg, it also turned over time, it appears that breakthrough uh, infections are increasing as well. Yes, that's what happens when everybody gets vaccinated. <laughs> you run out of people who are not vaccinated to catch the virus. And so what you, you know, once again, being vaccinated and catching it is not necessarily a crisis. It's not necessarily a disaster. Uh, your odds of ending up in the hospital are very low. 
just a couple of days ago, the Atlantic had a piece that was like, I caught COVID. Here's how you can learn from my mistakes. And, and the guy was sick for a couple of days and he was fine because he went, he went to a wedding and he was really mad about it. And it, this continues this neurotic sensibility that if you catch COVID, you personally must have done something wrong. You must have done something risky. You, you, you wouldn't have gotten it if you were more careful. Well, if you live like a hermit and you never interacted with other human beings, then yes, you probably wouldn't catch COVID-19. Beyond that, if your lifestyle does involve interacting with human, other human beings, sooner or later, you're going to want to take off that mask. Sooner or later, your loved ones, people in your household are going to take off their mask. There's an excellent shit. You know, this virus is becoming endemic. Everybody's going to get it at one point or another. Hopefully, you're vaccinated. And you get it and it's not that bad. And, you know, you just, it comes and goes and you don't really have much of an impact at all. And then you'll have immunity, both natural immunity and vaccine immunity, and you'll be fine. But man, oh man, it's just so frustrating that after all this time, even ABC News is still asking this question. And you can see people glomming onto it because the people who are the, the you know, the neurotic class see this and think, oh my God, Vermont's got a lot of cases. Think that the vaccines don't work. Things are terrible, but... And on the flip side, the people who are vaccine skeptics, I think, look at that and say, see, even Vermont, the most vaccinated state in the country, is having an increase in cases. An increase in cases is not necessarily a public health crisis. But I, I'm going to be saying that until I'm blue in the face, Greg. <laughs> yes, no doubt. But I think the government bears some responsibility here for poorly explaining what these vaccines did, because when they rolled them out, they said 95% effective, 90% effective, Johnson & Johnson a little lower than that, 70, 65% effective, whatever it was. And so the impression was, well, you have a 95% chance of not getting this if you have the vaccine, instead of you have a 95% chance of your body triggering an immune response after, after getting the vaccine. And I don't think they made that distinction well at all for months. And by the time they finally did get around to uh, correcting it publicly. I, th I think this perception of what the vaccine would accomplish was well out there, and it's kind of hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, it, it really took root and is not easily dislodged. Also, let's remember, like, look, again, some of this, you think back to early 2020, the virus was new. The images coming out of China were terrifying. You know, fear of the unknown is a major factor in, in human psychology. So you'd hear the news, you know, Tom, uh, Tom Hanks has, has COVID-19. Oh, my God, you know. And, and you know, he and, and uh, uh, Rita Wilson, you know, they are, no, Wilson is the basketball, right? No, it is Rita Wilson. Though. It is Rita Wilson and Wilson yeah. was the volleyball. Okay, now I remember. You know, I'm, I'm, you know look, we, there's so much in my brain that is filled up with diehard trivia. It doesn't really have room for the, you know, uh, castaway trivia. That's important there. Um <laughs> Tom Hanks got it and he got better. And now he's making his other, and he was, he recovered fine. And now he can continue playing icons to the baby boomer generation in historical dramas for the rest of his life. You know, he's doing fine. Um, we, we didn't need to, you know, was, do we need to take COVID-19 seriously? Sure. If you have the wrong kind of genes or you're elderly or you're immunocompromised or you have some other comorbidity, yeah, it can end up being really serious. But for most people, it was probably going to come and go like the flu and it wasn't going to be that bad. And we just never were ever, we were never able to make that distinction. We were never able to realize that we might want to have different policies for nursing homes versus schools. And different people would be at different risk levels and that they could live with different risk levels. And it's, you know, we're coming up on two years here and it's just extraordinarily frustrating. But uh, Greg, there's a rumor going around that it's Friday. It is Friday, and so we're very happy about that. Uh, Jim, happy that you're back as well, and you'll be back on Monday too, as will I. So we'll see you then. See you Monday, Greg. 
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Uh, we're very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Please keep those coming. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and please join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are so thankful to our veterans for putting their lives on the line for our safety and freedom. I'm Sarah Carter, and on the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll be joined by my favorite veteran, my husband, Marty, a special operator who was seriously wounded in Afghanistan. We'll discuss how he persevered after being injured and how important our military families are. And we'll argue about who pursued who. You won't want to miss that. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.